0: If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of my life and no razor shall touch his head. She she pleaded. And she cried out before the priest named Eli and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. And gave her a son named Samuel, the boy to be mentored in the temple. The boy who would become the next priest of Israel. But that wasn't enough for God's people. The priest wasn't enough. God wasn't enough. They demanded a king. And Samuel, he tried to warn them and he tried to tell the people, a king will seek his own power and his own pleasure. But just like all of God's people, they were a Uh, fickle and stubborn lot they wanted to be like the other nations they wanted to be like the things of this world and so in God's divine and sovereign plan he gave them a king a man named Saul that stood above the rest strong and brilliant a warrior he was everything that Israel desired except he wasn't what started as a promising future quickly faded into disobedience selfishness, and pride, and insecurity, but it was the disobedience of Saul regarding the Amalekites that God's grace ran out. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours. He's better than you, Saul. He's better than you, Samuel said. And so it was. The transition plan was initiated, the kingdom torn from Saul and handed to an unlikely shepherd from Bethlehem. David would be privately anointed as the next king of Israel. David would prosper beyond all expectations. The musician, the shepherd, the warrior, the giant slayer, the loyal servant, the faithful friend, the son-in-law to the king, and everyone could see the rise of leadership. Everyone except Saul. And jealousy and Rage filled the hearts of Israel's king, and Saul must stop David before it's too late. He was anointed, but he wasn't the main leader just yet. David must die. Running and running and running for his life, it's the story of a man amongst hills and valleys. It's the story of King David that points us to King Jesus. It is the beginning of the end of our time in 1 Samuel. So that's where we'll be, 1 Samuel chapter 21. We'll start in verse 1. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there in your bulletin. But as we do every week, let's pray together, and then we'll study the passage. God, we um, humbly come before you, and, and as we have done, or, or at least should have done, during communion, that we confess our sins to you. We confess all of the ways that we fall short, and we remember and embrace the, the gospel. And so, God, as we become come before your word, I pray that we, we come with clean hearts and clean minds to hear what you have to teach us, God, a, a reminder as we've gone through First Samuel that you are always, always at work, even if it feels like you're so far away. As you're always doing things according to your good plan, even when things don't always feel good. So God, teach us uh, from your word. We pray these things in your son's name. Uh, amen. So First Samuel 21, I'll start in verse 1. Then David came to Nam to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I charged you. I made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest, truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition, and the vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey, how much more today will their vessels be holy? And so the priest gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread there but the bread of presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day which it is taken. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. Detained before the Lord, his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. And David said to Ahimelech, then have you not here a spear or a sword on hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, well, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you have struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is, it's wrapped up in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there's none but there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. I'm going to answer a strange but important question. What's so great about the bread? If you're a note taker, that's our question for today. What's so great about the bread? I mean, seriously, y'all, I mean, y'all got real issues in your life. I've got real things that I'm, I'm working through. How could a, a story about David filling up on some carbs and 1 Samuel be important at all? Well, first, it's important to David because he's a fugitive on the run and he's hungry. So we, we left David several months ago in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20. If you remember, he had returned to the palace of King Saul. He had returned home only to be met with even more drama. And like every other single time, Saul swore to kill David, and then David ran. Except this time it would be different. It was the final goodbye to his best friend and son to the king, Jonathan. Things would never be the same. And so as we enter 1 Samuel 21, David he, he lands in this, this town called Nob. A town northeast of Jerusalem, about two miles from the place David was hiding out from, saw, since we're Old Testament, let's, let's show the map. Um, so you get an example of where uh, Nab is, according to Jerusalem, and uh, we'll reference more of that as we continue. But he's a fugitive on the run. He's tired, he's, he's hungry, he's a man in need of supplies. And so he finds himself in this uh, small Levitical town of priests, a place of worship since the place of Shiloh was burned to the ground by the Philistines. And David has arrived and he's he's hungry. He's desperate. And so the obvious is right in front of us. I mean, that's certainly why David cares about the bread. That's why the bread becomes the central focus of this narrative. David is a hungry fugitive... All right, that's why David cared, but why should we? Why would we care about some bread in the tabernacle? Well, simply because that bread, if you know where I'm going, it it points us to a greater bread from heaven. That, That bread points us to a greater bread of presence. It says this in John 6, starting in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, "'Truly, truly I say to you, "'it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, "'but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. "'For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven "'and gives life to the world.' "'And they said to him, "'Sir, give us us this bread always.' "'And so Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We care, or at least we should care, because that bread points us to Christ Jesus, the bread of life. and so let me slowly and carefully ask this question are you and i desperate for the bread of life is the the deepest gnawing hunger of our soul is that for christ is christ not greater than your children or your grandchildren, or your financial security, or even your health. Because if Christ is greater, which he is, then there, then there is an eternal worship-filled reason to care about the bread. So what's so great about this bread of life? We give you just two answers from the narrative today. Let me show you from 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 9. What's so great about the bread? Here's point one, if you're a note taker, it's simple. The bread of life is holy, it's holy. So Ahimelech, he's the priest of Nob, is, is the man that he, he comes out to meet David in verse one and his posture is concerning in the text. He's a, a man trembling before the anointed king. It's possible the priest has, has heard of some, some kingdom rumors and drama and feared even just helping David. Why are you alone and no one with you? Ahimelech questioned. Who, me? Oh, well, yeah, about that. Um, Well, the king, you know, the king sent me on a mission and he said, don't tell anyone where you're going or what you're doing. If you didn't notice, David's caught up in a lie. And not just a lie, a lie before the priest of the Lord, at the house of the Lord. And and if you were to read some commentary, scholars have tried to defend David's actions. Like maybe David meant the Lord is king. You know, that kind of makes sense. Maybe David's trying to protect Ahimelech. So we'll find out the next couple weeks didn't work out so well. Maybe we just don't know. And and the truth is, you, you and I, we don't have to defend David's missteps and sin in the Bible. He's just a man like any other man. Just because someone is anointed doesn't mean they're infallible. Even the greatest, healthiest, godliest leaders will fall on their face at times. And anytime you see a preacher or a Christian that just, man, they carry themselves like they've got Christianity figured out more than anyone else. Like they're better than everyone else. I can guarantee you they are hiding something from someone or at the very least have no idea what the gospel means for themselves. Yeah, sure, they can articulate that for someone else. They just don't know what it means for them. Anointed men and women does not mean infallible men and women. So it's a lie from David. Motivation unclear. We we do know he's hungry. Verse 3, give me five loaves of bread. Well, I don't have common bread. I only have holy bread. What's the priest talking about? Well, Ahimelech is speaking about this bread of presence or if you were a grungy Christian teenager in the early 2000s, it would be called the showbread. It was first mentioned in Exodus 25, verse 30. It says this, and you shall eat the, the you shall set the bread of presence on the table before me regularly. And, and here's a picture of the location of the of the showbread or the bread of presence in the tabernacle. Another map, last one for the day. Um, and I think some of y'all even went to kind of see a replica of this so you can see Uh, the table of the showbread, outside of the Most Holy of Holies. This bread is first described in Leviticus 24, starting in verse verse 5. He shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. He shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. It's holy bread. It's bread that like, must be set apart for the priest and only to be eaten on the Sabbath. It's holy bread. Christ Jesus, the bread of life, is most certainly holy. And he's fully man, and he's fully God, and he's set apart, and he's holy. Hebrews 7, 26, it says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Christ, the bread of life, is holy. Why does that matter? Well, because without Christ you aren't holy. So it's a, a weekday meal, uh, eating with a, a friend at Amigo's and we, we ate the free chips and chatted about life and the food came and he began to share with me some of his story and he told me, you know, I just sit in my seat and weep during the last song every week at church and I've always tried to be a good person, but you said something during a message that being a good person wasn't good enough for God. And I sat there and thought, wow, do I got some good news for you. Because that's, like, that's the beginning of the gospel. That's the beginning of good news. Not being good enough before the holy God is the beginning of the best news. Because when that finally sinks into our heart, well, then we run to the cross of Christ. We will hunger for holy bread. Since Christ is holy, he is able to make a way that Jesus died for us, that Jesus took on the wrath of God for us, that Jesus rose from the dead for us, that the bread of life is holy bread. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why we care about the bread of life. He's holy. He is set apart. He invites me to become holy like he is holy through the work of Christ alone. Which leads us right into the second point, And I guess really the last point. What else from our passage? Number two, the bread of life, what's well, free to all? It is free to all. So there is a tension in the narrative today. Looking at verses 4 through 5 of the passage. The priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? Ahimelech is concerned about giving David the bread for two primary reasons. He's concerned that David and his men, honestly, that they've been sleeping around and would by default be ceremonially unclean. But he is chiefly concerned because David is not a priest. And eating the bread would go against the Levitical law in Leviticus 24, starting in verse 8. Every Sabbath day Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever, and it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. This was holy bread only for priestly men. And David was was offered some to eat. It's such a meaningful account that even Jesus brings it up in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See, Jesus understands something that I truly believe Christians who claim to follow Jesus in 2023 fail to understand jesus understands that mercy is greater than sacrifice jesus understands that mercy is what the lord himself really desires that's what christ desires mercy and ahimelech showed david mercy and if You're a priest in the temple. Ahimelech, I mean, he's got every right to be hesitant about the bread. Every right. It wasn't just for anybody to partake. He's right on that one. But friends, the mercy of the holy God means that the bread of life is. Whoever comes to Christ, the bread of life will live. It is a free gift to whoever comes. Can I be real honest with y'all? I say that question a lot, and then I'm like, I don't give you really an option, because I'm going to be. Um, but when I see people lined up for food pantries, my cynical mind begins to spin. Like, I, I know that there's people in that line that that really need it. In fact, um, our family would receive food from the church food pantry when we lived in Illinois and the kids were really young. And but I, I sadly and wrongly look at that bread line and think, man, they're just living off the system. I mean, if they had so much time to line up early, why don't they go get a job? Maybe they could quit buying cigarettes and buy some groceries. I mean, save, save the food for people that really deserve it. All right. Um, you know, maybe some of that is true. There's truth in every cynical remark and thought and it certainly does feel like America has grown lazy and dependent upon the government to become their mom and dad maybe some of that is true but you know where's my heart of mercy where's my heart of mercy to feed and and clothe my neighbor Where's my heart of mercy for those that, you know, maybe they don't even deserve it, because by every definition, that's mercy. And here's the truth. You know, I'm just so thankful God doesn't treat me like that. My uh, soul hungry for the bread of life, and God doesn't see me in the bread line and think, Nope, not him. Now, get him out of the line. I I know his past. I know what he struggles with. I know how much he's going to waste this. I know how lazy he is. I know how manipulative he is. Not him. This bread's for someone else. And that's just not the gospel. It is free bread to whoever comes to the table. Regardless of your background, regardless of how many times you failed, regardless of how unworthy you feel, it's the free bread of life. And to be clear, once you eat of it, you, I mean, you can never be the same again. The showbread might have been reserved for a few, but the, the bread of life is offered to all, and that's not too late. You know, even if um, even if you hate yourself, even if you, you truly believe everyone hates you, it's not too late. The Christ is offered to all to come and feast. You know what's so great about the bread? Certainly the bread of life is holy, the bread of life. It's free to all. So, you know, fugitive of God. Man and woman on the run, will you come and eat from the bread of life? Are you still looking for something else to fill that belly of yours? Knowing that the hunger always comes back, it's not like David ate some showbread and everything was was great in fact as you'll see things get a lot darker for him no there's a hunger in our hearts that can't be filled with the things of this world a reminder of one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes he says if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy well the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world What's so great about the bread? What's great about Christ Jesus? Well, it's because in Christ and Christ alone that we're fully satisfied. That he is the bread of life that is forever present. So the simple plea is come and eat. The bread is holy, the bread is free to all. It is the bread of life. And your main point is very simple this morning whoever comes to Christ, whoever comes to Christ will never hunger again. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful uh, for the reminder of your word. Reminder of, of mercy that's been shown to us even when so many of us, including myself, we don't want to show mercy to anyone else. And here we are, standing before a holy God, and we deserve none of it. And and yet you've shown us mercy through the work of Christ Jesus, that Jesus comes to us as the bread of life and invites us to eat and to never hunger again. God, remind us of the truth of your word. God, may we be challenged but also encouraged by it. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.